High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Grab your Bible, if you will, and uh, go ahead and turn to 1 John 5. It's going to take us a minute to get there, but we will get there, I promise. But go ahead and turn to 1 John 5. I want to minister a message this morning uh, entitled Overcoming Faith. Somebody shout, Overcoming Faith. Uh, on Tuesday is the is Independence Day. It's the 4th of July, and it's the day that we celebrate uh, the independence of this nation, the signing of the Declaration of Independence uh, on uh, technically July 2nd, but uh, on July 4th we celebrate it, and I'm going to be nerdy a little bit there with my history, uh, but uh, we celebrate it on July 4th, the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the fact that we are free uh, as a nation. Aren't you thankful for the freedom we have uh, as American citizens? Aren't you thankful? for our nation that we live in this morning? I said, amen. Aren't you thankful? Amen. All right. Uh, Now, a lot of times we kind of think about it in in our uh, freedom, independence as a nation, the fact that we are free uh, is something that that, that we kind of can take lightly, something we really don't think of too often. But if we think attaining victory in the battle for freedom and for independence was easy, we are vastly mistaken. Uh, It was not an easy battle. It was not an easy fight. Uh, And as a matter of fact, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of times we say, how how many military or or former military do we have in the room this morning? Y'all just wave your hands at me. All over the room, people who are military, former military, y'all give them a hand this morning. Amen. And a lot of times we see our military now and living close to a base, you know, to an Air Force base, we hear the jets flying overhead. Well, one, there weren't planes in the Revolutionary War. They weren't invented yet. Um, But also our nation and the people who fought for our nation in independence, they were not military uh, power uh, powers in in the global stage at that age. As a matter of fact, uh, England was the primary uh, fighting force. They were bad to the bone. They were it in the 1700s. And we were simply, as Americans, as colonists, the people who were here were simply farmers who were fledgling, who decided they were going to pick up some muskets and fight because, uh, you know, they didn't want to live under the the rule of Britain any longer. I don't want to go into all the details of that, but I want you to realize what an incredible mismatch it really was on paper for American colonists to be fighting the British army and their forces and everything they had. They had a navy. They had soldiers. They had all of this. We had people that were used to working fields that picked up muskets. And yet we still won our independence in that battle with some help from people, not the least of which being France, but we we won independence in that battle. But uh, it was not easy. As a matter of fact, it was a long process. It was a long fight. And especially in the early stages of that fight, it did not look good. Didn't look good at all. As a matter of fact, in the winter of of of, of 76, Washington, General George Washington and his troops were camped in Valley Forge outside of, outside of Philadelphia, and they were literally freezing to death. 
Most of the troops were ready to go home. As a matter of fact, Washington's troops especially were all ready to go home and quit and be like, forget this, it ain't worth it. Give me a red coat and tax my tea all you want. Right? They were like, this is not worth it. And they were ready to go home. In that winter of 76, the American Revolution is on unsteady footing. The entire American cause is on the verge of death. And a pamphlet is released by a man named Thomas Paine. Anybody know who Thomas Paine is? Am I familiar with Thomas Paine? This is your history lesson for the morning. Uh, and I'm going somewhere with all this. I'm not just recounting history, so y'all just hang with me. Thomas Paine writes uh, a series of, I believe it's four pamphlets uh, that he calls the American Crisis. And he writes under a pseudonym, uh, and the pseudonym he writes under is called, uh, the name is Common Sense. And he writes under this pseudonym, these four pamphlets called the American Crisis. And I, I want to, to, to read you the beginning of the first pamphlet this morning in just a second. This pamphlet would end up, uh, it would end up bolstering the morale of the colonists. As a matter of fact, uh, in that winter of 76, George Washington, General George Washington in Valley Forge, his troops, like I said, they were all ready to quit. They were ready to go home. And Washington ordered this pamphlet to be read aloud in front of his entire army. Three days later, they would cross the Delaware and they would end up winning the battle of Trenton, which ended up being kind of a pivotal thing that began to, to, to my watch is talking to me, talking to me that began to switch things into favor of the colonists, into favor of the Americans. And over the course of years after they would end up winning the war, but that really was the battle that made them realize we can do this. And it was all, they went from ready to quit to crossing the Delaware and getting this victory in three days right after this from common sense is read to them. And I want to read it to you this morning, the beginning of it. It says this, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. Do we have it to put on the screen? Shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Now get this, my favorite part. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I wanna read that last part to you one more time. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. So this is the beginning of the words that are read to Washington's troops at Valley Forge that begin to stir something within them, that begins to give them an encouragement that they can push through and they can make it. And I feel like in a, in, not necessarily in the natural, but in a spiritual sense, this is an appropriate thing for us in our day and our time and something that we need to understand. Things that you may be going through right now may not be easily conquered. That you may be in a situation where you're facing some things and you feel like you're being tried. But the good news is this, the more difficult the conflict, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Let me put it this way for you. Yeah, you know, how many, how many sports fans do we have in the room this morning? Many sports fans, okay. 
about eight of you. How many sports fans we have in the room this morning? All right. You ever watched a game where your team just blew the other team just out of the water? I'm talking about by like halftime, you're not even paying attention because the game's just so in hand. And at the end of that game where it's a blowout, if he's playing some school that's not that good or some team that's not that good, I saw an MLB game the other day. I don't know who was playing. And in the fourth inning, it was 24 to nothing. What game? You know what game that was, Garrett? It was like 24 to nothing in the fourth inning. And I said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. And the, the, the team that won the game, I'm sure those first four innings were really exciting. But the last five after you're up 24 to nothing are kind of boring. Right? I've, I've watched some games before where, you know, FSU's played and you've blown out. We've blown out some, you know, D2 school that nobody's ever heard of before. And I watched the game because I'm a fan at heart and like it and it's fun and whatever. But you know what's, you know the games that really give you that, that buzz that you kind of carry with you for a little while after that you, that you brag about and you kind of poke your chest out a little bit like you actually did anything on the field. You were just sitting at home drinking your soda, watching, eating your popcorn, but you're like, yeah, we won. <laughs> the we is very, an interesting term there. You know those games that really give you that buzz that you kind of carry with you for a little bit after are the games where it was close. The games where it looked like you were down and it was out and you were going to lose and everybody was counting you out and suddenly there was a second win that came in and your team stormed back and you win the game. Those are the ones you get really, really excited about. All right? You've heard Dad talk about for in, in, in 2013 when FSU won the national title game against Auburn. By halftime, most everybody was counting him out. As a matter of fact, there's a famous tweet from a, a college football writer that halfway through that game, he was like, the Knowles have been exposed. They haven't, they're not really that good. They finally faced a team that's, that, that has something going for them, and, and, and we've seen that they're really not all that great. And then FSU stormed back in the second half and won the game in the final seconds. I think they threw a touchdown pass with like 15 seconds left in the game to go up and they won the game. I've told you all this story before, but we had some dear friends of ours at the house, Reed and Ashley Harris were at our house watching that game. And I think Maddie, uh, their, their youngest was like a baby baby. And I just warned them in advance because they were driving down the field, fourth quarter, and it looked like FSU was about to score and Maddie was asleep in the living room. A baby was asleep. And I just went after said, I'm, listen, I'm just apologizing in advance because if we score here, I am not going to be quiet. And there is a good chance that I'm going to wake Maddie up. So I'm just apologizing in advance for waking up your baby because that's exactly what's going to happen if we score. And we scored and I yelled and woke up the baby. My brother in that game said he literally went outside and ran around his house. He was so excited. <laughs> True story. Ran up a wall and then out the door and around the house. Why do those games stick with us? Because it looks like you're down and out. It looks like you've been defeated. And suddenly something happens that turns the tide and you emerge victorious. Listen, it's one thing just to win and just feel comfortable in it. It's another thing when you feel like you've been defeated and you storm back to victory. And I'm telling you right now in your life, there may be some areas where you feel like you've been defeated, but there is a shout that's coming on the other side. Some of you might run up a wall and around your house because the tide is going to be turned in your favor and you are going to be victorious. Listen, the more hard the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. First John 5 says this, For whatever is born of God 
overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a scripture that is important for the day that we are living in. You need to make this your daily declaration. You need to make this something you prophesy. What if instead of talking about all the bad things and all the negativity and this, that, and the other, and I can't believe this, and I can't believe that, and did you see what they're doing now, and blah, 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 and woke this, and this, and that, and blah. Come on. What if instead of talking about that so much and enunciating the problem over and over again, we went, this is what overcomes the world, our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And what if you started speaking the language of faith instead of the language of everything that's wrong? When all you can do is talk about what's wrong, what you are really doing is you're voicing your fear You're voicing your doubt and you're voicing negativity that things can't change. I don't care how bad things might look to you in the natural, things can still change. You've heard me say this before. Hope is the simple belief that things can change. Don't tell me that you have hope if you don't believe things can change. Don't tell me that you have hope if you are so locked in that all you can do is regurgitate what you've heard some talking heads say and you can't speak the language of faith. The language of faith declares what we see in the spirit before we see it in the natural. It declares what he has said even when we feel like everything that we see is the complete opposite. Y'all awake this morning? I don't care what is going on. Make this, make this your declaration. We have overcome the world. We have overcome the world. This really is a creed for those who desire to live uh, what I call in, in my book, Revolutionaries, called Revolutionary Believers. This is a creed for them. We have overcome the world. Not we will overcome the world. We have overcome the world. It's already done. It's already, I said it's already done. You may not see it right now, but it's okay. Your reality is just catching up to what God has already accomplished and what he's already done. We have overcome the world. The, world, the word world there is the Greek word cosmos, and it literally means the world in a wide or a narrow sense, including its inhabitants. So when it says that what has overcome the world, our faith, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes? What is that overcoming? Uh, what is the world there? It is literally what we see. It's the world in a wide or a narrow sense. It's what you encounter on a daily basis in a narrow way, and it's everything else that's going on that you have no clue about in a wide way. Does that make sense? So let me just be frank with you. All of us have a somewhat narrow view of the world in, in this regard. There are billions of people on this planet and you don't know most of them. As a matter of fact, you know very few of them. And your experience on this planet 
is very unique in that it is very different from people who live in other places, from people of different, uh, from people of different genders, different races, different generations. Your experience is wildly different. And guess who has overcome your experience? The Lord has. And guess who has overcome their experience? The Lord has. There's no situation that is too wide or is too narrow that he has not already overcome. I don't care what it looks like, he has already overcome it. That's what the word world means there. Regardless of how you look at the world and what's going on in society, we are called to overcome. If you are really going to be somebody who turns the world upside down, you have to believe this. To take it back kind of to our founding fathers in, in 1776, I think sometimes we think about the Declaration of Independence and when they signed it, and we think of it as this joyful, jubilant, just awesome party. And actually, I think it was HBO did a miniseries many years ago now on John Adams. Uh, anybody see the John Adams miniseries? A few of y'all did? Okay. And there's actually a great scene in there with them signing the Declaration of Independence, and it is this incredibly solemn and sober thing that's going on when they're signing the Declaration. Do you know why? Because essentially they were signing their death warrants. If this didn't go in the way that they expected, there was a rope that awaited on the other side. Right? This was a very serious thing. It wasn't parties. No, Adams wrote later that this should be commemorated with, with fireworks and songs. And as he said, songs of devotion to Almighty God and all of these things that Adams would write later. But on that day, I don't believe that they were shouting. There was a solemnness to what they were doing. But the very fact that they signed that declaration knew that in the face of what seemed like insurmountable odds, that there was something inside of them that they believed that they could overcome. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have signed it. If there was a situation and you had to sign on the line for a fight that if you won, you were good. But if you lost, you're dead. The only way you're going to sign that is if somewhere inside of you, you have a confident expectation that you're going to emerge victorious on the other end. It didn't look like they could be victorious, but something inside of them said, I believe we can do this or else they wouldn't have put their names on the line to begin with. They had a confident expectation in their victory over the British Empire. It's unlikely, once again, they would have literally put their necks on the line if not so. Do we have that same conviction of victory that we are called to experience in Christ, not just in the age to come, but right now. Because there are a lot of people that have a lot more faith in the American military than they do in their Lord and Savior to bring them victory in the midst of the spiritual battle they're facing. There's a lot more people that have faith in a natural battle than they do in spiritual battle. And can I let you in on a secret? And by the way, we should be confident as Americans and in our military in the fight that we might have to face. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be. But as confident as you are in that, we should be all the more confident in any spiritual battle that we face because Jesus has already declared you the victor from the beginning. Whatever spiritual battle you are facing, you can have a confident expectation that this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, I don't care what the world is throwing at you, Jesus has already overcome the world. 
your victory was already accomplished 2,000 years ago. I think sometimes we, we underestimate the power of it is finished. We really do. We underestimate the power of it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he wasn't talking about his life. It is finished and I'm dead. Jesus was saying it is finished. Hell has been conquered. It is finished. The enemy has been vanquished. It is finished. All victory and authority now has been given to those who believe in me and who call upon my name. It is finished. Victory is yours and it is settled forever and ever and ever. And defeat is not an option for them any longer. When Jesus said it is finished, a verdict was rendered and it says, world, you have been overcome. World, you have been defeated and church, you are now victorious. This was literally an announcement to the cosmos that you've been made a victor. To everything seen and unseen that you are victory, that you are a victor in every situation. I'm going to say it again. To everything seen and unseen, a declaration was made that you are a victor in every situation. John reinforces that in 1 John 5. We are not called to live a life vanquished. Rather, we are called to live victorious. Now to possess that, you have to live with something that I like to call overcoming faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The word overcome there is nikeo, and it literally means to conquer, to prevail, and to get the victory. The word faith is the same word that appears everywhere else in the New Testament for faith. It's the Greek word pistis. And it literally means persuasion, credence, or moral conviction. So, over, so let me put it to you this way. Overcoming faith is a moral conviction that we have victory. It is a moral conviction that we have victory. How many know what a conviction is? It's something that, that you believe so deep inside of you that nobody can, can sway you from it. Right? Whenever you have a conviction about something, it's what you believe and you are solid in that. Right? We all have convictions about things in the world about, uh, that come as a result of scripture, come as a result of upbringing, come as a result of, uh, of experience. We all have convictions, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of you have some convictions in your life of things that you won't do, you will do, whatever it may be? Right? Hopefully you have a few. Praise God. Because without conviction, you're just going to do whatever you want to do, whatever your flesh feels, and that's the road to hell. It's the road to destruction. So we all have convictions in our life, but oftentimes one that we don't have is conviction of our victory. We face a situation, we face a circumstance, and we freak out. You've ever freaked out at a situation before? Come on, let's be honest. The enemy showed up and you just freaked out. You know, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Don't know if we're going to overcome. Don't know how we're, how we're going to see victory in this. I don't know how, blah, 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 blah. This is just too much. It's just too heavy. It's just, I, I don't, this is just, and what we're really saying whenever we take that perspective. And by the way, I'm, when I say what I'm about to say, I am not throwing a stone at you because I'd have to throw about 20 at me because everybody in this room has done this. At some point in time, you faced a situation, you went, this is too much, it's too big, it can't turn around. My prodigal son or daughter, there's no way God can get a hold of them. They've done, gone too far, they've done too much. My health is too broken for there to be healing. My finances are too jacked up for there to be restoration. My marriage is too far gone for my husband, my wife to turn around and come back to Jesus and come back to our family. We've all been there. 
Some of us, it's things even smaller than that that throw us into a tizzy. But we've all been there with something at some point. And what we really are saying whenever we get freaked out by stuff, what we are really saying is, God, I think that this situation is bigger than you are. That's what we're really saying. And we're not doing that knowingly, right? We're not doing that knowingly, but I want to, to, to reveal that to you today, that whenever you face a situation, you go, I just don't know if we're going to come out of this one. What you're really saying is, God, this situation is bigger than you are. And there is no situation that you will ever face that is bigger than God is. So you can have a conviction of victory that no matter what it looks like and what is thrown at you, you can go, listen, it ain't over yet. I know I've been taking some body blows, but it ain't over yet. I know the enemy's got his shots in, but it ain't over yet. I know that I have felt really beat down and defeated, but it ain't over yet. God's going to have the final word and the final say, and he's already told me the outcome from the beginning. He already told me that I'm the victor, and he's already raised my hand in victory over 2,000 years ago. And even whenever it looks like I'm getting beat up, no, it is just a setup for a comeback. Even when it looks like I'm on the ropes, know that it's just an opportunity for me to bounce back. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that your end is coming. I'm going to say this. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that the end of culture is coming. And can I even say this? Don't get so embattled and wrapped up in culture wars that you lose sight of the one who controls and holds the culture in his hands and will have the final say. Amen. Understand that to operate an overcoming faith, you have to really believe 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. If there was ever a time for us to come to that realization and cling to that, it's now. We've heard people say seeing is believing, but Paul tells us something completely different in his epistle to the church at Corinth. Paul tells us that what we see now is subject to change. That what you are seeing right now is subject to change. That everything that you see that's going wrong is subject to change. I want to close with this story today. The Bible tells us the story of a war between the Syrians and the Israelites. And I think I've heard y'all, I think I've told y'all this before, but um, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. Okay? So even when the stories aren't about you, God is illuminating something inside of those about you and about your situation. Does that make sense? So whenever Paul wrote his, his epistle to the Corinthians, he wasn't writing to Keith. Right? He was writing to who? The church at Corinth is who he was writing to. But he had something to say to Keith. In the middle of that, even though God had me, Paul had no idea. God did. Paul had no idea who Keith was going to be one day. Paul had no foresight of that. But the reality is there is something to say in that to Keith. So even in these Old Testament scriptures, like the one I'm about to read, don't read these as just some recounting of something that happened a long, long time ago that was really cool. God is saying something to you in the middle of it. He is revealing something to you and about you in the scripture. So there's this, there's this war between the Syrians and the Israelites, and Israel is always a step ahead of the army of Syria, even though the Syrian army is much greater and mightier than the, the army of Israel. 
And Elisha is so keen in hearing God that he knew where the Syrians would be camped before they arrived at their destination. So the king of Syria gets greatly troubled and he, he starts to think they've got a spy within their own ranks because they're constantly getting outflanked. So he's really confused because he's like, who in Syria is telling Israel what we're going to do? And the reality is nobody in Syria is telling Israel what they're going to do. It is simply Elisha is hearing from God and he is outmaneuvering them by the voice of the Lord. So his advisors, the advisors of the king of Syria tell him, listen, there, there is nobody in this camp that's spying. But there's this guy that Israel has named Elisha. And he's a prophet. And he tells the king, this is literally what it says, he tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. Which we don't want to know about that. <laughs> so the king finds the whereabouts of Elisha and he sends troops against him. And that brings us to 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to read this so you can turn there real quick if you want. It'll also be on the screen. It says this, Therefore he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? In other words, he's freaking out. They're surrounded by this great and mighty army. They don't know what to do. So Elisha answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And at this point, I think the servant has to be like, Elisha, one, two, an army. I don't know what you ate last night, Elisha. I don't know if somebody put something in your water. I don't know what the situation is, but your ability to count just got really bad. There are more with us that are with them. There are more with us that are with them. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Listen, in this story, God delivers the prophet and his servant from a situation where it appears hopeless. It appears like they are done. It appears like they are broken. It appears they are outnumbered. There are more in the world than are with us. And it's a situation where you look at it and go, I don't know how. And God is going to turn this situation around. It is over. It's done for. Listen, if you look at stats in society and culture and you see things that are going on and you see things like uh, Generation Z and Generation Alpha are less interested in the church and less interested in God than any generation has been before them. People are leaving the church in America in droves. If you look at all of that and you look at the situation, you can very easily go, God, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen with my grandkids? What's going to happen with my great grandkids? It's feeling like there are more against us than there are for us. And if that is your perspective today, here's my prayer for you. Lord, open their eyes. 
The same thing that Elisha prayed for the servant. Lord, open their eyes. Don't get stressed out. Don't get freaked out. God has it all under control. Listen, I know things can look bad depending on how you look at it right now, but here's the good news. I've read the end of the book and Jesus wins and we win with him. All right, some of y'all aren't sure of that. I said, I've read the end of the book and Jesus wins and we win with him. I don't care what it might look like and what you might think right now. The spoiler alert is being broadcast today that you have already been made victorious and Jesus will win now, tomorrow, and forever. Don't get freaked out and stressed out about what you see. He's got it under control. It might look like you're outnumbered, but my God will have the last word. Your sight lies to you sometimes. He looked in the natural and they were outnumbered, but he needed to look in a different way. He needed to look again. I encourage you, look again with new eyes and with fresh faith this morning, knowing that you have been called victorious. Look at your kid's situation with fresh eyes and fresh faith. I don't care what they text you last night. Look with fresh eyes and fresh faith. I don't care what your husband or wife are doing right now. Look with fresh eyes and with fresh faith. I don't care what the economy looks like. Look with fresh eyes and fresh faith. I don't care if two bags of groceries cost $40. Look with fresh eyes and with fresh faith this morning. Begin to look with the eyes of the spirit, not the eyes of pessimism and the eyes of the flesh and the eyes of what media is saying and the eyes of what talking heads are saying and Fox is saying and CNN is saying and MSNBC is saying and this person is saying and that person is saying. Look with the eyes of faith today. Open your eyes and see that you've already been made an overcomer. God has more for you than against you. Your victory is secure. You just have to believe it and keep pressing to victory. You become so convinced and convicted of your faith that you won't stop until you see victory and triumph. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.